football, <laughs> baseball, <laughs> basketball, anything sports. Auburn's 91.1 FM WEGL presents the scoreboard with your co-hosts, Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Your calls are welcomed at 334-844-9345 or follow them on Twitter at Jacob underscore Hillman 3 or at Bay underscore Marks. Now, let's take a look at the scoreboard with Bay and Jacob. Welcome to the scoreboard, WGL 91.1 FM. Or if you're listening to the scoreboard on WeagleFM.com, we thank you and we welcome you. Bay Marks, as always, sitting alongside Jacob Hillman, live from the WGL studios here in the Auburn University Student Center. Jacob, how are you after this first insanely wild weekend of March madness? You know, my predictions, my brackets, none of those went really well at all. So, on that side of things, not great, but it was an enjoyable weekend and that's all that matters. It was. It was a very entertaining weekend. It's safe to say everybody's brackets are busted. Obviously, with the bracket challenge on ESPN, nobody remains perfect. Um, even with written brackets that you may have at home, I am not a betting man, but I would be willing to bet that it is busted as well. So, um, listening back into our show from last week, if you listened in, we made bold predictions like Texas and Alabama potentially upsetting Michigan and getting to the Final Four. I don't think that was a bold prediction. At we all. mentioned Ohio State making a run. I mean, I had a freezing cold take. I said that not a single Pac-12 team would make it out of the round of 32. We were well. I mean, to to be fair, I think everybody was kind of pumping up the Big Ten, and I think one team remains in Michigan. Let me look. That's it. Yeah, yeah it is Michigan. just Michigan because that's what people talked about. I was like, man, all Big Ten Final Four would be cool, and then no, that's not going to happen. Yeah, and that's. Partially because of what the Pac-12 has done. Pac-12 is running through teams. Colorado is the first loss for them. I mean, we were talking about how the play-in game between UCLA and Michigan State, they were just going to run. We thought it was going to be Michigan State, and they would just run through BYU because January, February, Izzo. UCLA flipping the script, beating them, beating BYU handedly, beating an Abilene Christian team, and they're going to move on to the Sweet 16 and face a red-hot Alabama team. So, and then like we mentioned, Oregon State, the Pac-12 champions, easily beating the five seed of Tennessee and then taking care of business against the potential number one overall pick in Cade Cunningham and the Oklahoma State team. And um, they, they don't get a chance to take down a Big Ten powerhouse oh, yeah, <laughs> because I mean, Loyola, Chicago, here's the thing, they were underseeded like crazy. Yeah, They are one of the top 15 teams in the country. They should have been a five seed, but they sat there at the eight seed and they took care of business like, like you just got to deal with. I think I remember when Auburn made a lot of fans were not happy about the five seed, but Auburn went and took care of business, which Loyal Chicago is doing right now. Speaking of another team, um, we were talking about teams that have been upsetting people in the first round. Oral Roberts beating Ohio State, the two seed by three, and then moving on and beating Florida by three, who was a seven seed. So the 15th ranked Cinderella team um, going to go on and face Arkansas, Sweet 16 team. What if we got Oral Roberts? into the Final Four. Well, see, I think the perfect Final Four is Loyola, Oral Roberts, Creighton, and then UCLA. Just a bunch <laughs> of underseated teams. and then As long as Alabama's not there. Well, see, I expect that at yeah. this point. It's going to happen. Well, and that's what I mentioned was last week, I sat in this chair and said the winner of, we presumed Alabama and Texas would meet, um, and the winner of that would go on to the national championship game, in my opinion, and... Texas loses to Abilene Christian in the first round, and then that guy went viral on Twitter for the horns down, which that was sick. <laughs> it was funny. That was awesome. Uh, Here's the thing. Texas was a fraud. 
Yeah. And, and no one really saw it. Well, Shaka Smart is a fraud. We'll say yeah, that. Yeah, probably. I mean, because look, Abilene Christian went in and scored only 47 points against UCLA. Yeah. It's they not, weren't a great team. It's not like Abilene Christian went in and and they made it to the Sweet 16 or even played it close against UCLA. They got dominated from start to finish. So, yeah, you're right. Shaka Smart's a fraud, and Texas was a fraud this year. Yeah. I think, well, and if we rewind to beginning of COVID when Auburn was in the top five <laughs> for Jalen Green, Greg Brown, Cliff Amore, Jonathan Kaminga. Well, Greg Brown was down to basically Auburn, Texas, a little bit of Memphis, I believe, and then kind of just the G League. And Shaka Smart's kind of the whole reason he went there. And rewind to the fact that Shaka Smart nearly lost his job last year. And I think Texas decided one more year, we'll see what he does. Lands a top 10 player in Greg Brown, and they do win the Big 12, but then it comes to March Madness, and they haven't done anything. The Big 12 in general, other than Baylor, has not done anything. Right. And Baylor... I mean, Kansas lost to USC by 34. Yeah, so. here's the thing. Because I thought that the Big 12 was going to show out. I thought that Texas Tech was going to make the Elite Eight. Now, we can obviously... So did I. I we, really thought so. We can look at that game against Arkansas and be like, some things go the other way, and they're in yeah. the round of 32 against Oral Roberts. But, yeah, other than Baylor, no other team has even come close to taking care of business because, like I said, Texas loses to Abilene Christian, Oklahoma State. They, they're they down a lot to Oregon State. They try to make a comeback late, can't make it happen. West Virginia loses to Jim Beheim. That was a great game. It was that a was great awesome. game. And then, who, who am I missing? I believe Kansas, as you said, lost Kansas by 34. Kansas lost by 34 to USC. And I believe that's all the Big 12 teams. But here's the thing. The Big 12 looks like the Big 10 right now. There's only one of each conference left, and they're the two one seeds. And I just don't know. I think another big well, – well, speaking of – you mentioned one seed. Let's go back. We talked about Loyal Chicago a minute ago. The upset that kind of nobody really saw coming – was one seed Illinois losing in the round of 32. See, taking care of Drexel, beating them by nearly 30, beating by 29. And then it was not even like it was a, like Oral Roberts over Ohio State or for like a two or three point game. Watching that game, Loyola Chicago controlled and was absolutely the better team. And you mentioned the fact that they should have been ranked higher. And I think that's probably their biggest piece of evidence to prove so. They're the best defensive team in the country. Yeah. Here's the thing I thought, I probably didn't say this, but. In my mind, I was like, all right, looking at this region, who has the best chance of beating Illinois? It's probably Loyola Chicago because it's like, do you trust Houston? Do you trust a Clemson? Do you trust a West Virginia or or even a Oklahoma State or Tennessee? I don't. Loyola Chicago has a solid defense. I trust them. And then they get past Georgia Tech, and they do the exact same thing they did at Georgia Tech to Illinois, who I was so confident in. See, and I really could have, before the tournament started, mentioning the Georgia Tech game was a game that I thought could have gone both ways. In the first half, it was somewhat competitive and pretty close. And then in the second half, Loyola really didn't give up any sort of lead, and they ended up winning by 11. I mean, that shows how their defense is, because that defense was consistent the whole game. Now, here's the thing. Do we expect that to happen throughout the tournament for as long as their run lasts. See, I honestly, looking at the bracket right now, which I'm presuming we'll get into in segment two, we'll, from here on out, Sweet, Sweet 16 forward, we'll preview that segment. Looking at this game against Oregon State, I can see them winning that. But after that, they're going to face either Syracuse or Houston, who I really don't see them beating, just because of how those two teams have played so far. Houston with the coming from behind. But 
what was the um <laughs> what was the tweet that you and I both saw that you had mentioned in our apartment the other day it was about Sister Jean can pray for like world peace, but she uses her yeah, powers for on March, March Madness. Madness. <laughs> well, oh my goodness, did you see this? It's a Sister Jean, the Twitter account. Yes, yeah, it's no, no, awesome. No, 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 oh. no, no, no. March Madness tweeted this. They made a Photoshop where Sister Jean is Thanos. The snap. Where her gauntlet is Tennessee, Illinois, Nevada, Kansas State from the 2018 tournament, and and Miami, and now it's Georgia Tech. Or it's Georgia Tech and Illinois from this tournament, and then the other teams from the past tournament. Right. She, uh, she's a powerful woman. Power of prayer. She's, uh, she's getting a lot of attention too. Hey, did you see the other tweet while we're speaking of Loyola Chicago, um, where it talks about it's one of the guards from Illinois. I'm forgetting his name, but he he uh, he recreated the Kobe picture with the Big uh, Ten tournament championship. And they said, "How are you going to take a picture like this and lose to a guy that looks like this?" And it's Cameron Crutwig, the so center for Loyola Chicago. <laughs> yeah, I mean. It's probably the funny. best facial hair in the tournament. Hey, is it not? I'm I'm a Loyola Chicago fan from here on out. Just just let me see. Let me see. Is, is that who I'm pulling for? Nah, Oral Roberts. Hey, well, yes, I'd say that either them or Oral Roberts. And well, well, one team that nobody really talked about from the round of 64, which was actually pretty a big deal, was the fact that Oregon, a seven seed, was supposed to face off against Virginia Commonwealth and. Due to COVID protocol, VCU yeah. couldn't play. So they get a game off, and they end up stomping Iowa and Luca Garza, who's probably going to be the national player of the year, by 15. They put 95 up on them. Yeah, and you can't. And Luca Garza dropped 36. He did what he had to do. Of oh, course, that's more than what he had to do. Of course, his yeah. defense isn't there, so partially to blame for that because he just is not the best defender in the world. He's like similar to Nikola Jokic in the NBA, but still. Yeah, that's 95. Yeah. And now they go face their USC Pac 12 counterpart who put 85 on Kansas. USC beating Drake in the first round, who had the playing game, no big deal. Moves on to play Kansas, who struggled with uh, Eastern Washington a little bit, only beat them by nine. And like you said, drummed them by 34. So a six versus seven Pac 12 game, that's. We need to go back and look at what their matchups looked like prior to the tournament. Right. I think that's a big tell all for what can happen. But I think that'll be an interesting matchup to watch as well up in the West uh, region. I and, and I guess we'll move on to the one seeds. Yeah, I mean, three out of the four are still there. Pretty common. Michigan got a bit of a scare from LSU for most of the game, but those oh, last man, four minutes. That was, for the last four minutes, they really show why they're the one seed. I think that's also due to the part of, and you kind of saw this in LSU's SEC championship game with Bama, was the fact that they lack depth. I mean, after Trendon and Cam Crawford, they really only have one, uh, one or two other guys, um, and they lack in their size department, so... I think that's really kind of where Michigan beat them. And, again, like we said, Michigan in the same region as Alabama, where Alabama's a two-seed, the East region, they're going to face off against Florida State, a 1-4 matchup. I think this might be the most entertaining Sweet 16 matchup just because we talked about Florida State uh, last week before the tournament started and how athletic they are. They squeaked by UNC Greensboro by 10, nothing super impressive. Then they play the five-seed in Colorado, who had gotten hot right before the tournament. They beat them by nearly 20 as well, so... I'm liking they're Florida getting hot State at the right time. More. Yeah, Leonard Hel- Hamilton knows what he's doing, so I kind of like them more and more. And we'll get into what we expect to happen in the next segment, but they look good. I think that I think the round of 32 game against Colorado, they they're really starting to get hot, and I think that that's kind of a dark horse right now, right there at that four seed. Got to keep an eye out for them. That's gonna be interesting to watch. Well, on the what other side of the weekend, break, yeah, I mean, well. And not even just that. We're going to get into Auburn baseball later. I mean, Auburn... NBA tread deadline? Yes, NBA tread deadline. We're getting to that as well. But like we mentioned, on the other side of the break, 
We'll get into the Sweet 16, Elite 8, maybe an adjusted prediction for the rest of what the tournament looks like with Jacob Hillman and myself, Bay Marks. Don't go anywhere. This is a scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM. Thank you for tuning into the scoreboard with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. You can find the scoreboard podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcasts. Time to look ahead at Sweet 16 and Elite Action. Elite 8 action for the NCAA tournament. On the scoreboard, Jacob Hill and Bay Marks with you on Weagle 91.1 FM. We're streaming at WeagleFM.com. You want to call in and talk about March Madness, call in at 334-844-9345. That's 334-844-9345. As we move into what we expect to see out of the Sweet 16 that we didn't expect to see with Oral Roberts in there, the Pac-12 teams showing out. Syracuse, UCLA, the 11 seeds. Oregon State, Loyola, Chicago, not a matchup that anyone guessed, I would imagine. So here we are. I think let's go Let's go region by region here, Bay. Let's do it. We're going to look at the most obvious region. I think we know where we're going with this one. Out West. Yes, and by Gonzaga. Out West, we mean Indianapolis. We're out West in Indianapolis. And <laughs> <laughs> in, uh, Gonzaga. They face off against Creighton in the Sweet 16 after Creighton Beats the team that we kind of talked about being a the Ohio team we thought maybe yeah you did call sleeper. that you did call that and yeah their star players did, that was what went wrong for them but and then down below in the lower part of the bracket USC and Oregon I don't see anyone beating Gonzaga so originally instead of the one five matchup here I predicted a one four with Virginia Virginia loss doesn't hurt my feelings ah. at all um, I hope they lose every March Madness game they play from here on out and never get past the first round tied <laughs> Rome double dribbled. He did. I'm still on the hill that Smear Dowdy didn't foul. But that's another conversation. So, again, back to my point. I thought we were going to get a 1-4 matchup. Creighton surprising me. Um, I had them pass UCSB. They squeaked by by one point. That was another good call by Jacob. Um, Jacob had mentioned in last week's show that he thought UCSB was going to go far. They came close to doing that. Almost got a 12-13 matchup regardless. Um, But Creighton looking strong in the Sweet 16. I still like Gonzaga. They've been the best team in the nation all year. Um, Nobody's going to waver from that. So I think, handedly, they're going to win their Sweet 16 matchup against Creighton. Yeah, listen, Austin Reeves almost single-handedly did it for Oklahoma. That dude is a baller, and we'll see him. Speaking of Oklahoma, their coach retired today. Yeah, Luke Kroger, or Kroger, he retired today. So who knows what Oklahoma will do in the future. They're a solid program, but they might be rebuilding from now on. But I do expect Gonzaga to advance against Creighton. And, I mean, I love the Mobley Twins. So I'm picking USC over Oregon. I'm going to pick them as well. I, I, See, and that was something was I picked USC to upset Kansas. I didn't expect them to do it by 34. But I felt like USC was kind of a disrespected six seed that could get hot and make a move or two. I'm going to take them to go to the Elite Eight. Obviously, I don't have them going past Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga's still going to go to the Final Four, obviously. Um, but I think USC and Oregon will be a really fun matchup to watch a six and seven game. Um, I, th- I say USC wins by like five or less. Yeah, and it, like... Like I said, Gonzaga in the Final Four. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Gonzaga, no, one, no one's stopping them until possibly the Final Four. Yeah, and even the national championship game, you could argue. Um, I mean, you look at Gonzaga, they crush Norfolk State. They have Oklahoma hang in there for a while, but ultimately beat them by 16. And here's the thing. I wouldn't even say they really hung in there for a while. When they were up 15, it felt like they had no chance. It really did. And, and they cut it to 10 yeah. at one point, but it was still just like, they're going to pull away again. Well, and even after, I know it was only one of the first few games of the year, but after Auburn played Gonzaga, I was like, 
this team looks like the number one team in the nation. They obviously aren't perfect. I mean, no team's perfect. We're not going to make them out to seem like that. But when you have a team that they are aver- perfect, actually, well, technically, so far, <laughs> when you have a team that's averaging over ninety points a game, that's going to be hard to stop. So. Um, I agree. Gonzaga is going to win the West region. They're going to make it to the Final Four. It is, it'll be interesting to see from there on out how they do and what they do. To the east. And Indianapolis. To the east of Indianapolis. Michigan, Florida State, UCLA, Alabama. Almost chalk here, but Texas screwed all that up. So they're fra- Chaga Smart's a fraud. Who do we have coming out of the east now that the chaos has really, really happened? So we mentioned the fact that we liked Florida State. They were continuing to impress us, even though it was just Colorado, the way they were, they've been playing, just athletic. Regardless of this, I'm going to pick Michigan and Jawan Howard. Um, I just think that Michigan has been more battle-tested all year. And, excuse me, sorry, I had a sneeze coming. I didn't want to sneeze into the mic. They've been battle-tested all year, and the way that they played against LSU, the way they pulled away against them, and how, how consistently I think that they've played all year is why I think I'm going to pick them. I think this is going to be a fun game up and down the floor. I just think Michigan in the end is going to have a few possessions in the second half of this game that will carry them over, and I think Michigan will advance to the Elite Eight. I'm doing it, Florida State, because I think that they like the slow-paced game that Michigan tends to go after. So I think that Florida State will get it done because Michigan isn't completely like Colorado. Like Colorado is like slow, slow. But Michigan, we saw what happened when they played LSU. When LSU was moving up and down the floor – they were not able to stop them. But in the second half, they kind of slowed it down, and then they had success. I think that Florida State likes that slow-down pace, and they'll have success against it. So that's why I think they'll win against Michigan. That'll be a fun matchup. I really think that that'll be a, that'll be a good game. I think from here on out, you don't get a lopsided matchup besides maybe Oral Roberts and whoever else they play. Right. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't dislike that pick. I could really go either way in this game. Right. Looking down at UCLA, Alabama. I mean, I you got to go with Alabama. It They're tastes, red hot. It tastes like vinegar in my mouth. But I, I'm going to be honest, dude. I don't see many, if any, teams beating Alabama right now. Gonzaga. And I don't May- know where I'm going Maybe Baylor. Maybe Baylor because of their defense. Yeah. Maybe. I think Mitchell and Butler are can shut down the guards. But the length of Alabama with Herb Jones and the guys down low is just the only reason that that matchup scares I mean, and the only way I see Gonzaga beat them is the fact that Gonzaga outshoots them, and I don't see that happening. I, I mean, yeah, Alabama's going to beat UCLA now. I pray to the basketball gods that <laughs> UCLA's blue blood just lights a fire under their rear end in the Sweet 16 or something. But, I mean, I really don't see a lot of people beating Alabama right now. For the reason I picked Florida State to beat Michigan, I'm picking them to lose Alabama. Fast pace, it's not going to go well. For I think the first half will be well, here, slower. Here's the thing, as I said, LSU really put it on Michigan in the first half. They did. If Michigan makes it to the Elite Eight, I think Alabama beats them. Yeah. So I see Alabama in the Final Four against Gonzaga. Going to the Midwest of Illinois or Indiana, whatever state they're playing in, you've got – this is chaos. I mean, none of these teams, I think, would have been picked to go to the Final Four. The Midwest than, region, the defending region that Auburn is the correct. champions of. The, the defending <laughs> Auburn's, Auburn's championship region. Who, who, who's taking it over this year? Okay, well, let's break down the matchup that are probably easier to analyze, Syracuse and Houston. Right. Houston should have lost to Rutgers, if we're being completely honest. Yeah. I mean, some people lost money on that game. <laughs> who I could say? But <laughs> Houston, in the end, prevailed. Um, I mean, and a lot of people didn't have Rutgers going past Clemson. 
and they put up a fight against Houston and nearly get past them. I'm going to go with Syracuse. I mean, even though it's an 11-2 matchup, I mean, Syracuse runs San Diego State out of the gym, pulls away from West Virginia at the end, and West Virginia was a three seed. Give me them against a two seed. I mean, you can't bet against a Coach Bayheim who it seems like every other year is doing something similar to this. Um, so give me the big orange. I like them beating Houston. That's exactly what I was going to say. Don't bet against Jim Bayheim and his son, Buddy. Yeah, Buddy, Buddy had Bay- a performance the other night. Averaging 28.3 points per game in the ACC and NCAA tournaments. He had back-to-back 30-point games in their loss in the ACC tournament and their opening round game against San Diego State. I'm not betting against them. And when you look at Loyola's Chicago and Oregon State, I'm still going with the Ramblers. They're rambling on. We're getting an 11-8 matchup. In the sweet, in the elite eight, I'll go with Loyola Chicago too. Um, now Oregon State against Tennessee—that's not really a huge like measuring stick. I would say not something really boasts, just because Tennessee's without Fulkerson. They were really up and down this year. They shot like twenty percent in the first half. Yeah, and then the Oklahoma State deal. I mean, Cade Cunningham—he's going to be the first overall pick. But we were talking about it the other night watching the game. He's not that great. I mean, he's a great player, but he's. I- He's not the all-around NBA player that right. you have to be to be the number one overall. Interesting. When you draft players, it's all about developing them. Exactly. He can develop. And who else did the Cowboys have, really? I mean, they had a few athletic guards, but outside of that, you really didn't have any evidence against them against Oregon State. So, I like Loyola Chicago. I They faced off against Georgia Tech, who won the ACC. They looked fine against them. And then to upset the one seed, I mean, it's kind of hard to pick against that. So, I say we get a Loyola-Syracuse, like you said, 8-11 matchup. Now, the real question is, after that... Who goes to the final four? Well, is this game going to be on a Sunday? Because if I mean three twenty nine, what do you do? Is that is that a Sunday? That's a Monday, I believe. Okay. Today's the twenty fifth. Oh, you're right. 26, the, the elite eight matchups are on Monday and Tuesday. They gave Sister Jean the day off so she can pray. Fine, then I'm picking Syracuse because you don't bet against Loyola Chicago on a Sunday, but you don't bet against Jim Beheim and Buddy Beheim. I'll go opposite. I like Loyola Chicago just for the the story. Uh, they went to the yeah. final four a few years ago, didn't it? Yeah, they did. Okay, why am I? It was twenty eighteen. That's what I thought. Um. I just had like a brain lapse there. But, I mean, I like I said, this is another one of those games you can see going both ways. But I'm going to pick Loyola Chicago just because of the Cinderella story. This could be a fun game to watch down the stretch with Syracuse's 2-3 zone. That will be fun to watch. Looking south of Indianapolis, it's the Baylor region. They face off against Villanova. Arkansas faces off against the major Cinderella story of Oral Roberts. Take me through it, Bay. So, obviously... Everybody, me and you were talking about earlier. We thought Texas Tech would was going to be Arkansas, could have, maybe should have, and then Eric Musselman stood on top of a <laughs> sign and screamed. Did you see what they? Did you see the video from the COVID testing? Mm. You don't want to see it. Show me it after the show. The dance moves by him and the rest of the coaching staff is horrible. There, there was a guy double dabbing. Oh no. Rapid fire. Don't tell me that. It was bad. <laughs> Gives me like PTSD from the floss cam in Jordan oh, yeah. Hare Stadium. Oh, yeah, it does. Um, but no, everybody thought Arkansas would be out in the round of 32. They moved past the Red Raiders. Safe to say we think that Arkansas can beat Oral Roberts and probably will. Um, Oral Roberts really seems like a big 2-3 guard kind of team. Um, and Arkansas, I mean, it's just kind of hard to bet against them in that game. So I'll pick Arkansas. Um now, if Oral Roberts were to win, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind Cinderella. Well, see, I'm going to be emotional. I'm picking Oral Roberts, okay, because of those dance moves and because of that video they posted. Jacob hates Eric Musselman. 15 seed in the Elite Eight. They're not packing. They're not making it past Baylor though. No, <laughs> no chance. Does it really matter who wins this game? Listen, not really. Ma- Max Max Avemus, I think I'm pronouncing it right. That man is a baller. 
24 and a half points per game. He reminds me of Trey Young. Pull it from the logo, pass off the dribble. That dude, he's going to make it to the NBA one day. I think he's going to be a good player. I don't think he'll be some kind of all-star, but he's going to be a great role player in the NBA, even at his size. And as I said, Baylor's going to beat Villanova, and Baylor's going to beat. Real quick, before before you're quick about it, not a lot of people had Villanova getting past this point because of their injuries. Do not give – I don't care. Listen, no, I'm making a point. If you have to be careful with this game – because Baylor is one of the few teams that can stop Alabama right now. Are if you it, are you going to bet against Donovan Mitchell? No, I'm going to bet Baylor. But I'm just saying, like, keep your guards up if you're the Bears because no, I don't. Villanova can be a giant slayer right now, and no, and that could just lessen the chances of Alabama winning a national championship. I absolutely don't think Villanova is overrated in any way. I say they put up 84 in the round of 32, and I don't believe that Baylor's going to go in and blow out Villanova, but they're going to win that game. I hope so. I think we're going to end up with the so, so, Gonzaga and Baylor versus the field. I was about to say, so we have Gonzaga and Baylor in the west and south. And then to recap, who do we have in the final four in the bottom? Did you say Bama? I have Syracuse and I have Alabama. Okay. I have Loyola, Chicago, and I sadly have Alabama. But it'll be interesting. Do we think – who outshoots who, Gonzaga or Alabama? It seems like we're going to reset this every week because next week the Final Four will not be what we predicted no. it to be. <laughs> I'm going to say Gonzaga just because I don't – this is personal bias. I'll I just say Gonzaga. Do. I truly think Gonzaga will beat Alabama. Well, I and think- after watching how Auburn played against both of them this year, I mean, Auburn against Gonzaga was a completely different team. Hadn't had Sharif yet, second game of the year, but still, Auburn was actually able to hold Bama in check. Yeah. Gonzaga's just consistently been shooting well. Right. So. Yep, and then – I've got Gonzaga winning it all. Okay. I have Gonzaga winning it all, too. I think, obviously, Baylor meets him in the national championship game on the other side, so that's not hard. On the other side of the break, on the scoreboard, the NBA trade deadline was at 3 o'clock Central today. We're going to recap all the crazy trades that happened today. On the scoreboard, in the third segment, stay with us. We're already halfway done with the scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM. You can find more Weagle content at WeagleFM.com or on social media at Weagle underscore AU. Welcome back. This is the scoreboard, Weagle 91.1 FM. Or if you're listening to me, Bay Marks, and my co-host Jacob Hillman live on WeagleFM.com, we welcome you. Halfway through the show today, just got done with our March Madness talk. If you want to call in to be a part of the NBA trade deadline or anything else, Call in at 334-844-9345, 334-844-9345. Those last four numbers spell out Weagle. Getting into the NBA trade deadline today. Obviously, the biggest one coming from today is Victor Oladipo going to Miami and trade for Kelly Olenek and Avery Bradley. Um, a lot of huge trades going around today. Not any big blockbuster names, but just a lot of teams moving a lot of different parts. Another one also being the fact that Chumo Kiki, after going off last night, um, the front office decided to trade their entire team. So, anyways, we'll get into it first. Victor Oladipo, averaging 20.8 points a game, 4.7 assists a game, um, is getting sent off to South Beach, and Houston's going to receive from Miami. Kelly Olenek, who's averaging 10 a game with six rebounds and half a block a game, then Avery Bradley with 8.5 points per game. So, um, And a 2022 pick swap. So I think this is actually great for Miami. And they're also talking about the fact that uh, LaMarcus Aldridge uh, could have been going to Miami too. So it's great for Miami and it's great for Oladipo. I here's the thing: the Rockets were horrible this year. They are horrible. Yes, they just snapped their 20 game losing streak. And they're talking about how Oladipo is only averaging 21.2 points per game on 40.7 percent shooting, but it's like, yeah, he was on an awful team. Yeah, he was. He was carrying. I think him going to South Beach. 
can really refresh things. He still has upside. Even though with the injuries and all that, I still think he has plenty of upside for this to be a successful trade for the Heat. And it's not like they gave up a ton. So Well, and the thing, too, was Bradley was behind Dragic, Tyler Hero, and Duncan Robinson on the depth chart. So that just kind of frees up another guy who you can get another dude to score for you. Um, But isn't it crazy, too, speaking of the Rockets in this trade, how fast they went from a powerhouse in the West in the Western Conference Finals, probably should have gone to the NBA Finals, to one of, if not the worst team in the NBA, just like that because of probably two players. Yeah. James Harden and Chris Paul. And and Russell Westbrook. They get John Wall, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. He's not... He's still he's a star still, but like he is not what Russell Westbrook or James Harden was. He went from one crappy team to another. You're right, which kind of sucks because John Wall does it the right way and he's a good guy. So it really does suck for him. I hate that. Can we talk about my Hawks? Yes, giving up old man Rondo for Lou Williams. Yeah, and see that's that's kind of a bad trade for the Clippers in my opinion. I agree. I'm I mean Atlanta like. Yeah, like, Lou Williams, like, great player. And, like, that kind of sucks you're losing Rondo. But also you have Trey Young, so you still have somebody to handle the ball. Um, in my opinion, that's a bad trade for the Clippers. You're not going to keep Lou Williams out of his Magic City now. There's no bubble. <laughs> so he's going to be enjoying the Magic City wings every night in Atlanta. And I really think that this is kind of the Hawks. They've been playing really well, just strung off eight in a row before losing to the Kings. I do think that... This is kind of one of those pushes they can make for going to the playoffs because they were the fourth seed in the East with a loss of the Kings, dropped to the seventh seed. It's a tight battle for that bottom, for the bottom half of the pecking order in the East. I think the Hawks can get it done. I, th- I imagine them finishing around five, six, seven seed. And this is kind of a trade that can help you do that because I think Lou Williams wants to retire in his home state of Georgia. A uh, big thing, too, talking about finishing out the season in the East was. And this this kind of differs from your spot on the Hawks, but does this trade? And somebody brought this question up earlier. Does this trade with Miami that we talked about first, putting Oladipo on the roster, does that move them into contention of taking down Brooklyn when they're all healthy? That kind of puts four teams in the top tier of teams that can kind of make this final push and win it all in the East. I say yes. I like the Heat a lot. Well, after last year's playoffs, I really don't think you can ever count exactly. Denver Spolster out. You're right. And yeah, because, I mean, Eric Spolster is one of the best coaches in the NBA. One of the, I mean, what is he, like the second longest tenure in the NBA? Well, yeah, and he's so great with guards, too, which is why I think this trade was insane for them. True. I Look, I think that when it comes to the Heat, they've moved themselves into that top three kind of like contender spot. They're better than – because here's the thing. You have the Hornets – You've got the Knicks, you've got the Hawks, and the Celtics. I think they're in the tier of their own. The Sixers and the Nets are in their top tier. And then you got the Bucks, and I think you now have the Heat in their tier. And then after that, it's kind of New York and yeah, Charlotte. exactly. That. Well, and you also have to remember Charlotte's losing their number two overall pick, who is going to be the rookie of the year. Right. Which sucks. Get better soon, LaMelo. Um, but yeah, I, I to answer my own question, I think that this kind of pushes them over the hump and puts them in the top tier of the top four teams that can win it all. Do they know? Because when Brooklyn's fully healthy, nobody's beating them. And the way Doc Rivers has Philadelphia moving this year, it's going to be hard to stop them too. So regardless, though, this is a good long-term move. I really like that move. Um, other trades, like we mentioned, a big one, the Mavericks are going to get J.J. Redick um, from the Pelicans. Yeah, I think this is good to get a shooter. It is. 
because shoot or shoot, Luka can't do it all, and he's very hot and cold when it comes to shooting. Tim Hardaway has shot pretty well this year, and it's one of those things where when he shoots well, the Mavericks win. When he doesn't, they don't, they're not as successful. So getting another guy that can come out there and shoot off the bench can really benefit the Mavs. I think this is going to be a move, like you mentioned, to give them a little more offense. Um, that'll kind of keep them within the playoff window. They're sitting at the 7-7 seven, seven seed right now. Um, they're only half a game from being out of the, or I should say one and a half games from being out of the playoff picture. Um, but getting another score, like you mentioned, Jacob, with Luka, I think that's kind of going to take some of that pressure off his shoulders the way he doesn't have to carry every night. So this could be a move that pushes him up a, a seat or two in the uh, in the West, excuse me, and um, kind of keeps him safe. And now I think we should go out West. Let's do it. That was kind of out West, but. <laughs> Nuggets. Yes. They got Aaron Gordon. They did. And then we gave up Gary Harris and RJ Hampson. Now, this is part of the magic mass exodus. But like, what in the world? Yeah, it's kinda it's kind of interesting what they did with that. But oh, let's talk about the, the Nuggets first because I think that's more important. Their their move to that top tier of teams in the West. It's now about can they compete with LA's with the with the uh Utah's of the world now? Well, here's the thing. Long term you have to look in the big picture of the fact that they're getting rid of Gary Harris and RJ Hampton, not huge losses. But you're giving up a 2025 first round pick. Do we really see Aaron Gordon being worth two current NBA players and a future first round pick right now? That is fair. But I think they're also in the win now mode. I think so too. I mean, they have Jokic, they have so many different pieces. I mean, Murray. Murray. Now, something that was brought up to my mind when I saw the fact that Aaron Gordon got sent to Denver was, where does this put Michael Porter Jr.? Um, granted, he's more of a shooting forward than Aaron Gordon is, but still the fact that somebody's got to fill that three or four spot, and well, it kind of takes minutes away. See, that's what I kind of – I think they're trying to be a little more diverse, where you can have Gordon who's going to make his way to the basket, whereas you have Porter who's going to shoot off the bench. Right. And I think that's kind of what you're going to see with this team now, and you can just be so much more dynamic, and you're not – just going to be this team that's bullying down low and hoping Jamal Murray can make shots. Somebody made the joke on Twitter last night that the reason why Aaron Gordon got got traded was because Chuma shot 100% from the field last night and dropped like 17 points. I mean, let's talk Chuma for a second. I mean, he had a career high in the first half, only scored three in the second half, but like you said, 100%. Well, and Isaac had a good night last night too. He did. He scored double digits. Uh, I think he's done that several games in a row now. Those Auburn guys. There's something about those forwards coming out of Atlanta, Georgia, and going to Auburn. Look that, at them. That is a recipe for success right now. Who's next? Jabari Smith. Anyway, I really think that the Magic are kind of really, they're giving up on the season. It's, it's time to tank. Yeah. And I'm not going to say they're going to build around Chuma, but he's definitely going to be one of the focal points. I was going to say, because they traded away Vucevic, um, who was an all-star, so it's kind of... Hey, look, the Bulls? Yeah, I mean they well they traded for Adam Tice, I believe. Yep. So they have Adam Tice, and I believe well Mo Wagner got traded to the Bulls, and then I think two hours later they traded Mo Wagner for Adam Tice to Boston. So yeah, the Bulls are making some good moves, and that they that, saw what the Bears were doing and said, "Guess we got to be the team of Chicago again, right? <laughs> because the Bears are not it right now." No, and we were mentioning a few weeks ago about Zach Levine, the fact that he's like one of the better players in the NBA, but nobody talks about him because of the fact that Chicago's been so bad lately. So maybe these are the right moves Chicago needed. Who knows? Well, here's the thing. They have young talent. The Bulls are in the play-in game right now, play-in tournament. That's their 7 through 10 seeds have to play to get into the playoffs, and they're the 10. And they're only two and a half games out 
of being inside the playoffs. Right. This could be what puts them over. Right. I think a big thing, too, going back to the Magic, was also the fact that they traded Fournier to Boston for Jeff T, but they're also going to get draft picks. So, And that's kind of, that's kind of something that I think Orlando is going to try and emphasize is the guard spot. I mean, they did draft Cole Anthony, but I think that they're kind of looking for more offensive production from that spot. Um, now, the big question is, what do they do with draft picks now? Because another team that also... Well, who is it? Um, oh, it's Oklahoma City. They have 17 first-round draft picks in the next seven years. Yeah. First and second-round draft picks is something insane. Yeah, yeah. The Oklahoma City's doing work. I, I think Graydon retweeted Yeah, I can't recall the GM's name, but he is absolutely getting value out of every trade he makes. Yeah. It's not about winning now. It's about getting guys. Just like trading away George Hill. Here's the thing. They're doing, yeah, they're doing good, too, right now. So yeah. it's one of those things. They're kind of like, they're not, they're kind of on the bubble of getting into those play-in tournaments. And it's funny because, as you mentioned, Graydon, he's a big OKC fan. He's Huge. just like, get worse. Yeah. <laughs> build for the future because he wants those good first-round draft picks. And Yeah. I mean, build around party. SGA, build around Dort. I mean, they they have a lot of potential there. Luke They'll be back on the rise. Yes, he is. Um, trying to think of any more trades before we go off yeah, the air. Yeah, other than or, the Raptors trading Norman Powell to the Blazers for Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood. I think I, another only big one would be the fact that Cleveland got rid of JaVale McGee to the Nuggets as well. Yeah, it's kind of just a bench roll. The, the Nuggets are really, like I said, they are building for that playoff run where they're going to need the depth. So that's well, kind of what I see out of that. And a big thing, too, is also, did you see last night how Drake FaceTimed Kyle Lowry because they thought he was going to get traded? He ended up not being traded. Yeah, I know. That's that's what's interesting. Because he's he's kind of getting up there in age. Well, yeah, because when he FaceTimes him during his press conference, you think, oh, he's saying goodbye. Not the case. Yeah. Well, and everybody thought he was leaving. I mean, let's be honest. Kyle Rally, Lowry is up there in age. I think it's more of a city thing. He's done so much for Toronto, brought them that championship and everything. They don't want to get rid of him, but I think they're kind of ready to start moving on. Too. Well, yeah, because it feels like the Raptors are having a tough year, and it kind of feels like, with Lowry, you just want him to retire there. But it might be one of those things where you got to get rid of him and he come back with on a one-day contract. Well, that was the NBA trade deadline. Not, not any huge names besides Oladipo, really, but entertaining nonetheless. We'll see how it shakes out for the rest of this NBA season. And in the final segment of the scoreboard, Auburn baseball returns to the Plains after being swept in Oxford this weekend. Let's see if they can right their ship. We'll talk about that on the other side of this break. Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman on the scoreboard. One more segment before we turn off the scoreboard for the day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Scoreboard with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. You can listen to us live every Thursday at 4 p.m. on WEGL 91.1 FM or at WEGLFM.com. Back live on the scoreboard for the final segment of the hour on WEGLE 91.1 FM or WEGLFM.com. Jacob Hillman, Bay Marks with you. If you missed any part of the show or want to go back and listen, We'll be putting out the podcast right after we're done here. Listen on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. As we are going to preview Auburn Baseball's SEC home opening series against Kentucky after they got swept at Ole Miss. Two one-run losses on Friday and Saturday, then Sunday. Really gave it up in the first few innings. Went down 10 nothing early. Fought back at the end, scored nine runs in the eighth inning. But Ole Miss answered back, and it wasn't enough. Yeah, those were the Friday-Saturday games especially were two that Auburn could have and should have won. And then you look at the Sunday game. Don't want to give them 19 runs, especially on the road. But the fight, especially towards the end now, obviously Ole Miss probably had guys in who probably don't get a lot of PT. 
But that fight towards the end is something that I think means a lot, especially in the long run. Because here's the thing. First SEC series in two years True. on the road in one of, if not the most hostile environment in college baseball against a top five team in Ole Miss who is could be a number one team too. You, we didn't expect Auburn to come out of there winning like two or three games. We did predict a sweep or either one and two. Yeah. But to come out of their 0 and three in the way that it happened is just so gut wrenching. And here's the thing you look at, I think Sunday put a blinders on a lot of people. Friday and Saturday were good. They Friday, were. Friday, you faced the best strikeout pitcher in the country, Gunnar Hugland, and he struck out 14. That's not great with the, an electric offense like you have, but it was a battle between Hogland and Cody Greenhill. And Hogland came out on top. No yeah. big deal. Saturday, they score six runs early. You're down 6-2, and you battle back. It's just not enough. Yeah. Sunday's not good, but you can't let that take your focus away from the good things you did on Friday, Saturday. Well, and the thing also is the fact that you have to remember you're out with Jack Owen, who's a veteran pitcher who has started in Omaha for you, and you're also without Richard Fitz, who is normally in the starting role and has been hurt. So, take th- Consider those things. Take those into account. And those are just two of the pitchers. Yeah, those are just two of them. Two other relief pitchers with Hayden Mullins and Carson Skipper, they didn't make the trip. Exactly. Hayden Mullins was hurt. Uh, Carson Skipper still injured. And then you're still banged up with Judd Ward. You still possibly are banged up with Ryan Bliss and Josh Hall, which we don't know about. They are playing, but you never know. Yeah. I think Bliss is definitely still dealing with that hamstring. Absolutely. You can tell because it seems like one of those things where it's like, oh, he's going to get that that line or that ground ball. But he just doesn't make the same the effort. explosive effort. Yes. See, and that's the thing. When you take those into account, it's kind of hard to get mad at two one-run losses on the road. Because with those guys, who knows? You win two out of three, maybe, or at least one. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you don't get swept with all those guys. Friday and Saturday could have gone either way. Exactly. So, in my mind, I don't read too much into it. Not a lot of people expected much, and it kind of seems like Auburn's gotten into a trend of starting SEC playoffs slow, and it seems like somewhere in the meat of that schedule, Auburn goes on a run. Um, SEC play is so difficult. It really is. We've talked about the gauntlet, sounding like a broken record, and this is just part of it. Looking ahead to Kentucky, who this is probably your best chance at getting a sweep in SEC play other than maybe Missouri, who Auburn travels to in May. Who, and Kentucky's a great team, too. They are. But as I said, this is your best chance at doing something like that because, I mean, it's just they're just not that – they don't have the recruiting – that other teams do, and they, they don't, they're not as talented. But starting rotation for this weekend, Cody Greenhill Friday, Mason Barnett Saturday, and Joseph Gonzalez will make his first weekend start for the Auburn Tigers as a freshman. This will be Auburn's first home SEC series in nearly 23 months, dating back to May 11th of 2019 against Georgia, which was a doubleheader. So been a long time coming for Auburn to get that SEC home baseball environment. Now the weather this weekend – doesn't look too promising. Hit or miss. Hit or miss. Well, speaking of which, prayers up to the people in Birmingham and Holy in our hometown. Tornadoes going on up there, so stay safe. We're with y'all, but back to the weather this weekend. Hit or miss, like Jacob said. Um, could be a potential for a huge weekend for Auburn to get that, that run going that I was talking about. And that starts off with the pitching matchup on Friday night. Senior Woo! right-handed pitcher Cody Greenhill going to tow the rubber for Auburn. And Cole Strupp, the sophomore right-handed pitcher who's 3-0 and on the year, throwing a 1.14 ERA. For Kentucky can um, have potentially a high chance of having a low-scoring game. Well, here's the thing. You remember a few weeks ago when Auburn and Little Rock played that two-hour, 18-minute game? Maybe this game might this game might beat it. <laughs> hey, 
And <laughs> let's see if we get down to 215. Well, and the fact of the matter is, is Cody already pitches so fast. You put somebody else in there that's going to pitch as fast as well, it's kind of it's kind right. of over. But um, I don't know. I'm really looking forward to this game or this series as a whole. Um, These pitching matchups are so even, too. The pitching matchups are even. And I think a big thing to look out for is, like Jacob mentioned, uh, Gonzo's going to pitch Sunday afternoon for Auburn, the freshman right-handed pitcher. And... I think that's going to be huge to see what happens with him. He's really looked great because it was Trace. Yeah, it was, and and he and at gave up ten runs. He didn't give up ten runs. He gave up I think five or six on Sunday. He also gave up that grand slam against, against Little, Little Rock, Rock on Sunday. Yeah. So it's been a little. A He's been trending coming. downward. Yeah, but he'll be coming out of the bullpen, and I think he'll he'll get comfortable there. And Gonzalez, now it's not like he's going to be stuck in the Sunday role because Fitz and Owen will be back at some point. But, Please be sooner than later, right. oh my goodness. But Gonzalez and his starts have looked good. He started against UAB, five perfect innings. He looked good on Friday night against Ole Miss when he came in relief. He gave up the solo home run, but that's all he gave up. So here's the thing. I think you're in good position with who you've got because I think that a lot of guys will be returning to be out of the bullpen for pitchers. It's just it, it's going to take time for them to really get comfortable. The offense has to stay hot. Now and It's difficult to do, but they need to stay hot. Now, one thing I will say, Auburn has won three straight SEC home opening series since the year of 2017, and they're 8-1 during the span. So, Butch Thompson knows how to go ahead and get a, a opening SEC series weekend series under his belt. Um, for me, the big thing to look out for this weekend is to see the consistency of Tyler Miller. I think he's kind of turned into the guy that Auburn's going to lean on uh, behind the bat. You still have Ryan Bliss, obviously, but like we mentioned, he's kind of been battling those hamstring injuries. Um, but Bliss does have multiple hits in six straight contests. And he has two or more knocks in 37 of 73 games, dating back to 2019. And in the last 73 games, Ryan is still hitting 342. So It's not bothering him with the bat, I don't think at well, all. Well, <laughs> when you start running the bases, it kind of matters. Yeah, it does. And, and, and that's the thing. That's why he's probably – they're probably moving him to lead off. Well, I don't know. That's interesting. Because he, he and Judd Ward switched a bit. It's interesting what they've been doing with the lineup. See, it, it's hard to see like a pattern or anything. Without looking or without even thinking, just off the top of your head, how many different starting lineups do you think Auburn has had through the first 19 games this year? Goodness. It's up Probably there. 19. A little under. 17? 16. Okay, yeah. That's a lot of different starting lineups. It is. Because the catchers have switched a lot. The outfield. DH, the D, yeah, the outfield. See, that's what we thought going into the season was, oh, the outfield, solid. You got Judd, you got Casey, you got Steven. Case, uh, Steven's behind the plate, and Judd's been injured. So you've had to move Brayton Brown, around. Josh Hall, you've had Bryson Ware. Bryson Ware. Um, All kinds of guys have been out there. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think this weekend, I think Auburn gets two of three. I think we're going to drop one. Now, I think it's going to be Saturday. I'm not going to lie. I think Auburn loses Saturday. But I think Saturday and Sunday, Auburn bounces back and gets a rubber match win on Sunday. Um, like I said, for this ball club right now, it's really kind of just holding on to get get healthy again. Right. That's my biggest concern. Yeah, and I've got them going two and three as well. It's all about the bats. As you said, Tyler Miller needs to stay consistent. Tyler's turned into the consistent guy. Second in the country with 30 RBIs. And he is the leading batting average guy with hitting 411. Yeah. Leader in home runs with seven. Yeah. He needs to stay hot. He's turned into that guy. And some other guys need to step it up. I mean, not not that anyone's doing bad with Nobody's doing poorly. It's just not enough. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, well, that's what we saw when you lose by one run. 
when it's six to five and one to zero, yeah, the bats. Well, we didn't push runners across either. Exactly. In baseball, that's going to kill you. Right. So we'll we'll see if the bats can stay hot and if the pitching staff can get healthy. Do you? What do you see happening this weekend? I, I say two and one. Okay. And I think it's because of the bats. I think that they. Can I think Saturday or not Saturday, Friday night, Auburn continues a cold streak on bats. I could see it. I could see it. And yeah, going against cold stuff, I think they'll do a little bit more than they did against Gunner because they're not going to get struck out like they were against him. So I see them really, really getting back into it and just stringing together hits because that's what they haven't done. They've been hitting home runs, but they haven't been stringing together hits to drive in a lot of runs. It's like solo home run after solo home run. It's like, what does that do for you? Yeah. It doesn't do anything. When you start getting getting everybody on the same page behind the bat, it'll start clicking. I promise. It will. And I think Auburn's got a great chance to do that this weekend. They do. Auburn's got a good chance to do that this weekend. And I just don't – I don't know. I don't see really Auburn doing a whole lot in SEC play until Richard Fitz and – Jack Owen come back at the least. It's hard to just because of the talent they're facing. It is. Because next week, you travel over to – you have to travel to Arkansas, who's the number one team in the country. It's really hard to tell what's going to happen there. Because they they dropped 116-1 to to Alabama, but they also went bounced back and didn't give up but one run the rest of the two games. That's true. And I think a big thing also is just looking at around the SEC and different teams that have to play, like you said. They're going to have to go to Arkansas, who obviously has been one of the better teams this year in the SEC. Um, that's going to be a Thursday through Saturday matchup because it's Easter weekend. But then you come back and you get to have Mississippi State at home, who, again, has also been one of the better teams in the nation this year. And you're just going to have to fend off the rest of these SEC teams because there's not a week off. It's just consistent, consistent, consistent. You're playing power on power on power. And if Auburn can get guys healthy, if Auburn can get Richard Fitz healthy, if Jack Owen can finally come back, if Auburn can find some consistency behind the bats and really just find their stride, it'll it'll be hard for a lot of other teams in the nation to beat Auburn. And that's going to be a tough thing to do. When Auburn gets hot, not a lot of teams will beat them. But it'll be an interesting series because, like I said, this is your best chance at a sweep. We'll see if they can get it done. Well, that's going to do it. This has been the scoreboard this week. If you want to listen to the replay, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, wherever you find your podcast. That's where Jacob and I will be. Again, prayers up to everybody in our hometown of Helena and Birmingham. Stay safe. A lot of dangerous storms rolling through there. Uh, hunker down and uh, be safe. And like I said, we'll see you all next week on the scoreboard. Weagle 91.1 FM. 91.1 FM WEGL with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Join us every Thursday at 4 as Jacob and Bay cover all the happenings in sports. You can keep up with all the great shows on Weagle by streaming us on our website at WEGLFM.com and following us on Twitter and Instagram at WEGL underscore A. Thank you.